Rabbi Yisrael Motzen serves as rabbi of Nair Tamid Greenspring Valley Synagogue in Baltimore, Maryland. He's someone who takes his sermon speaking slot very seriously. So it is, in many respects, the most important moment of the week. I think this is the one chance that I'm going to be able to reach the, you know, anywhere between 100 and 200 people or so. Uh, this is it. Rabbi Motzen is that rare dichotomy of high intention. He's very thought out about how he goes about preparing and delivering his drashos. I need to, I feel the need to justify everything I'm going to say. But on the other hand, he places a premium on flexibility. He refuses to be pinned down to any one style or system of drasha. I don't even believe you even have to connect the Parsha to what you're talking about. The Parsha of the week is what you believe is on people's minds at that moment. Sometimes I don't quote the Parsha. If there's a connection to the, the weekly Parsha, fantastic, but it's really not necessary. What I love about Rabbi Motzen is the high standard he holds himself to, and his philosophy that the live drusha needs to be an experience you can't get anywhere else. There has to be some emotional component, some something that's there that you could only capture in, in the flesh in, together. We cover so many topics in our time together, like how to strike a balance between being vulnerable with your congregation, but not oversharing. The time Rabbi Motzen fainted in the middle of his sermon. I, like I, I fainted at the pulpit while I was giving a drasha. Pretty like dramatic thing to do, right? The power of having a partner to collaborate with, the need for truly honest feedback, and how to stay hyper attuned to audience attention and engagement. I learned so much from my conversation and I'm sure you will too. So now, without further ado, here is my interview with Rabbi Yisrael Motzen. So let me, uh, let me, let me dive in, because uh, I know your time is valuable. Um, so I want to ask you first, maybe you can describe your kahila. Uh, you've been the rabbi there for 12 or 13 years uh, already. So tell me a little bit about Nair Tamid. Sure. Uh, so our shul is what I like to consider like a, an out-of-town shul, which is in town. If you're coming from the tri-state area, Baltimore is out of town. But for the rest of the world, Baltimore is a pretty large Jewish community. And most of the shuls, thank God, the, shul, the community has seen incredible growth. So what happens when there's growth is that you have this shul and that shul and this shul and that shul for each niche audience, which is beautiful. Our shul is not that. Our shul is the entire spectrum, the entire spectrum of, uh, I would say, Orthodox Judaism, but not everyone there is observant. Uh, they want to be part of an Orthodox shul, but it really hits the gamut. You know, there are people wearing black hats and, uh, you know, whatever, and there are people driving to shul and, and everything and everyone in between. And age-wise as well, it, over the past couple of years, thank God, it's really, you know, the, this past month, maybe three births or so, unfortunately, funerals as well, but it really, we have the entire gamut. There's like a very vibrant young families uh, population, but also significant amounts of uh, elderly as well who are part of the show and in between as well. Uh -huh. Got it. Okay, so let me ask you, I want to understand a little bit about how you approach the the drusha slot. What what does that, that represent for you as a rabbi? Okay, so it is in many respects, the most important moment of the week in the sense that you have the most captive audience. Uh, thank God people, for the most part, are inside. People come back inside, thank God, for that. And so it's really an opportunity. It's one of the few opportunities I have to engage with so many people at one opportunity. And there, the the stakes are pretty high because of that. So, you know, I'm really coming into it recognizing this is the one chance that I'm going to be able to reach the, you know, anywhere between 100 and 200 people or so. Uh, this is it. This is it. So there is there's a heightened importance. Um, and then trying to figure out what the appropriate message is because of that heightened importance is, is the next step. Um, I, I suppose there's a line that I once heard of, I believe it's from Rabbi Alan Kimchi. He is, uh, he was a rabbi in the UK for many years. Now I think he's in Australia, I believe. 
Anyway, wonderful, wonderful rabbi. And I, I heard this from his son. I don't know if it was his original line, but he said his the role of a rabbi is to make the uncomfortable comfortable and the comfortable uncomfortable. Sounds like you've heard it before. It's such I heard a, it, yeah, just recently someone quoted it to me. Uh, afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Is there you go. There you yeah. go. And that's that's really, really my goal. And that's, I believe, is... And and you know and, and going back to why it's so important, it also sets the values and the ethos of the show. This becomes you know our show. I'd like to believe is a place, and and, and it is a place where uh, people coming from all walks of life. There are a lot of you know many people who've had difficult lives, some people who didn't, but a lot of people who find comfort in the show and so a sense of giving them up space, giving them you know giving voice to some of the frustrations or some of the challenges that they have, and giving voice to that, and 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 acknowledging people who perhaps feel invisible in other settings. That's that's one element of it, and at the very same time, there's also a sense of of, you know, we're all human beings. We feel complacent, all of us. And so how do we move people forward um, constantly, constantly making sure that we're never, ever comfortable. So, you know, when I, so that's the, the goal of my drushas. That's also very much, if you were to ask my congregants, I believe they would tell you the ethos of the show is one of being a welcoming place, especially for those who didn't find a place elsewhere to be welcomed. And that's people who enjoy having a sense of community, but also a growth oriented place and growth oriented is radical. When you have a show that's so diverse, you know, it makes it fun and challenging. What does growth look like? For one person, it means something totally different than that. It always is true. But when you have such a wide disparate audience, uh, it certainly is 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 unique in the sense that that how we're all growing or, you know, is, is going to be completely, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had a quote at the top of your, uh, I, I call it Twitter, but now it's, it's X. Uh, Preaching is cheap if it fails to meet human beings at their darkest points. Um, what, what was the intention behind putting that out there? It's, you know, I, I twofold, I guess. One is that sometimes they're on, on the most basic level. Sometimes people, I, I, I struggle with the um, sugar-coated approach to Judaism, where it's just like, you know, I, and I say this with respect, you know, thank you, Hashem, is a beautiful movement and it, and it brings a lot of good. But but there's also like the challenges of, of Judaism as well. And there's just challenges of a relationship, like any relationship, there's the, there's the good, there's the gratitude, there's also the, 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 the challenges that need to be, that need to be, met and dealt with and so uh the notion of, of preaching if we're just focusing on the positive i don't think that's uh that's true to the reality um of of life but also i think it gives people uh, a connection to 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 what you're to I, I we need to meet people where they're at and many people are in you know in in a bit of a dark place uh we all have our our, our closets we all have dark places and we need to kind of bring that out the only way we're going to grow through that is by acknowledging those places and if we're just you know, focusing on the positive, then we're never really getting to the depth. The depth is those dark places. And that's where Rowan Williams, a Christian uh, thinker and preacher, uh, really nailed it on the head uh, by saying that we really need to to get into those dark places and, and to start bringing forth thoughts and, and ideas from there. That's the only way I think that real growth could take place. Yeah. When, when I saw the quote and it was, you quoted Rowan Williams, I, I, for a moment, I thought I said Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> that would sort of make sense. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you achieve, you said that you, since you have such a wide demographic uh, in terms of ages, in terms of backgrounds, in terms of observance, how do you, you I mean, is it a scattershot approach? Is it, is it, what, what are you trying to, how are you trying to, uh, have so many diverse people grow in in a specific way. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think that um, a, a couple of things. One, one you know, I, I like speaking to my Kahila. I like speaking to an audience that I know. You know, I don't believe it's nice. It's nice to speak elsewhere and do public talk speaking, etc. Um, but the value of speaking to your own Kahila is that it's it's like a slow drip. It's not meant to be like I don't. I, 
how often do you really hear a speech that really changed your life? It's, it's, it's rare. I, I, you know, it's, it's rare that something really, maybe it was the trigger for something that was already building up. But, but the, the beauty of having a Kahilo we're speaking to all the time is that it's a slow drip. I, I, it's not, it's not, um, practical to assume that every single drusha is going to fully move a person. But if there's a constant drip of um, whatever values you're trying to promote are, are being promoted from time to time, week to week, or every few weeks, you're coming back more or less, you know, I've heard from a wise individual that every rabbi has, you know, one or two speeches, more or less, you know, you could more or less distill every single idea into one or two ideas and every speaker, forget rabbis. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. And if, if we recognize that and we think about different ways of evoking a response to that and in that slow drip fashion, then it's not as daunting. You know, I used to get, uh, my wife would always like joke with me how Rosh Hashanah Kippur, I guess typical, you know, the shul fills up a lot more. Um, so put so much thought into making it, uh, you know, incredible. And, and this is the one time no one's going to change from Rosh Hashanah. No one's gonna, I still, I still spend too much time on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, but, but the point is that in reality, no one's going to really change over a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's not, it's not a, a realistic expectation of oneself. It's not a realistic expectation. Anyone who's changing in one speech is not a healthy person. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to be a little blunt over there, right? It's just, it's not the way things work. So uh, again, it's that slow drip uh, approach. And that means that some days I'm going to be focused a little bit more on this Part of the community sometimes a little bit more over here but sometimes there's universal ideas you give a couple of examples and for one person the example is going to be you know in one place and another another time but there, there's a core value that that still permeates that's going to be relevant to every single person yeah what are your your couple messages that you keep on coming back to those themes um so really going back you know it's it's not just my job to make the uncomfortable comfortable and the comfortable uncomfortable but it's that it's it's that notion of growth growth whatever that looks like to the person it's it's uh it's giving voice to some of the challenges in Judaism it's giving voice to some of the things that no one wants to talk about you know just give, giving a place where people could explore ideas that are sometimes taboo or sometimes complicated um those are that's I would say a side thing but that's important where people it's it's part of uh creating an authentic type of setting where we are, where we're real and we have real questions, we have real challenges. And so I guess those would be some of the, some of the major themes that I'd like to focus yeah. on. Um, I want to, I went back and took a look at some of your sermons, which I'll uh, link to in the, in the notes. Um, and you you open, the opening is, is always grabs, grabs me. Uh, the openings are very dramatic. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Last week was, uh, I love Lashon Hara, right? <laughs> um, pinned to the top of your Twitter account again also is uh, I, I caused the family to leave my shul. I'm still trying to right my wrong. Um, Hanukkah, you, I think you opened, it was, a, uh, you said I had an admission to make. So the, the, they're very, very either dramatic or thought provoking. Um, tell me about your intention behind, behind the opening. How does that? Um, I guess the place I would start is that I don't like speaking. I don't like speeches. Uh, I guess some people would say I'm in the wrong profession, but I like to believe that's actually like a, a superpower when you're a speaker, because um, I'd like to hear less of myself. So how could I, I really have to, and because of that, I need to, I feel the need to justify everything I'm going to say. So I, I'm not going to get, I, I don't believe, I try very hard not to be verbose. I'm constantly whittling down to try to make sure sometimes perhaps too much, but really trying to justify everything that's going to be said. And I don't take for granted that anyone's paying attention to me. So it's on me. My, it's my responsibility to grab their attention at every moment. I'd like to believe Adrush is like an experience. Like there is, uh, and, and you feel it, you feel in the air, you know, you feel the, the sense there, there's a build, you know, whether it's the catching them or there's, you know, in the, the boldness in the beginning or whether the, the, the build up, there's a crescendo, there is there, it's meant to be an experience. And if you can't hold everyone together for that experience, 
I, I, they can read an article. They don't need, you know, if, if I'm going to justify standing up there, there has to be some emotional component, some something that's there that you could only capture in, in the flesh in, together. Um, and so that's that's part of my thought process. Actually, you being a comedian will appreciate this. Something which actually opened my eyes tremendously to this uh, was actually a write-up about Jerry Seinfeld. The New York Times, oh. <laughs> maybe a decade ago. And I was blown away. It's a funny guy. Um, you would think just naturally just spewing forth jokes. And he spoke about this one joke. I remember the joke. I don't know what the punchline was. I don't know what the joke was. But the punchline included a chessboard made out of water. So marriage is a bit of a chess game. Okay, it's not checkers. It's chess. Complex movements. Intricate strategy. <laughs> Except in marriage, the board is flowing water. <laughs> And all the chess pieces are made of smoke. But he writes how uh, he spoke about the fact that it took him years to figure out how to convey it in a way that it would land properly with the audience. And so the joke was there, but he recognized that for them to visualize a, a, a chessboard made out of water takes time to process. And therefore, they're not going to laugh right away, right? So I was blown away, just like all that thought going into how it's going to land. And so what he ultimately ended up doing is using his hands to to show a a water chessboard. Um, do you know the punchline? I don't know. I don't know what the joke was. Okay. Well, that is that is the punchline. It, the joke is about relationships, about how uh, it, it's it's like uh, you know the wife makes a move and you make a move, and it's all it's yeah. It was something water chessboard. Great, great, yeah. funny, yeah. good. But the point is that it was so eye-opening to recognize, like, I constantly am trying to put myself in the shoes of the people in my show, like literal people. I'm thinking, like, how's this person going to, how's this going to land with a person coming from this place, from that place? And and taking that into account and thinking about that constantly is 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 a way to make sure that that the drudge is actually, again, an experience and not just something they could have read in an article, but really is engaging as many people as, as many people as possible in that in that moment. Yeah, I wish I could uh, reach out and hug you because uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely of the same mind. Uh, <laughs> on my website is a quote by Jerry Seinfeld, who he says that uh, he says the real problem with stand up comedy is that you have to justify why you're keeping a room full of people quiet while you're the only one up there speaking. Fantastic. Love it. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it's such an audacious thing, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I'm standing up there anyway. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to ask you was uh, in terms of, you know, you say that you feel this needs to be an experience, something that can't get anywhere else. Have you ever showed up and felt like I didn't have something worth their time and ever? Uh, sure. Yeah. And what, and what happens in those circumstances? Do you still talk or do you? Oh, um, so, OK, good question. OK, sorry. Let me. So so I typically, you know, I. I have to feel it. I have to feel what I'm going to say. And sometimes I'll walk into a Friday. I try to write my my drushos like early Friday morning, typically. Um, and I feel like I'm not I'm not there. I'm drained. Um, I don't have I don't it's not I'm not feeling or I'm just I'm just not feeling something. So I will veer away. I will not give a classic drusha um, on a Shabbos like that. I will do something else. Um, so, for example, I will uh, pick a section of the sitter. Uh, that's different. That's unique. So, for example, I'll, I'll break down the the Misha Baraf that we say for the government and, and spend some time like, okay, everyone pull out your sitters. We're doing something different this morning. Um, or sometimes I'll print out a couple of, of pictures from the Renaissance, Renaissance art, you know, some, some middle ages, different pictures of different biblical passages, print out three of them and print out a whole bunch of them, give them out before the drusha, tell everyone to look at it for a second. What do you see? And have a conversation like and basically use, use those visuals as an opportunity to give a sheer on on the parsha because if I'm not going to feel it, I I, I I will 
it's not it's not appropriate it's not fair to them and instead this is it's not and, and you know bottom line is that this is engaging people happen to, to love it once in a while if i'm really feeling creative and i again i need that break i'll do like a little bit of a game show like i've done game shows like minhug or shminhug where i will uh list something i'll be like okay is that a minhug like a real legit minhug or is it a shminhug something made up and you know like fell or something and then you'll go through the background of some some common things or something of that nature if i'm not feeling it i will not i will try I'm not perfect, but I'll try very hard uh, not to put people through something that um, I wouldn't want to experience myself. Uh -huh. That's amazing. And it probably also has the effect of having people not exactly sure what to expect when they show up shop this morning, if you, if you pull one of those every now and then. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And those don't get posted also, which is, which is uh, you know, make sure that hopefully people come to show sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I saw the sermons written out, uh, and and so I never actually sat in one of your drushes, but I'm wondering how does it work? Do you do you write it out first, and then you deliver it, and deliver it from the written word, or do you go back afterwards and cobble together? How does it work? So I try to write things out. I find uh, there's value there's value sometimes speaking without notes, and sometimes the passion is able to come through in a way that having notes in front of you does not allow for. Um, depends on the complexity of the drasha. Sometimes I find greater value being able to have it organized for me. So I'll typically try to write like a rough draft before Shabbos. Uh, Shabbos morning, I will constantly be tinkering with the drasha. Uh, I will, you know, you, my I, if you look at my drasha notes before I speak, it looks like origami. Like I'm folded over here, folded over there, and it's basically a way of reminding me of different things that I want to change because you could always improve things. Um, they say MLK allegedly changed, you know, added a uh, part of the most uh, captivating parts of his uh, famous speech. I have a dream um, from the from the dais, um, well, right before he got up there. I don't know if that's true, but I once read that somewhere. But 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 you gotta you gotta constantly edit. It makes it fresh to me, and and there's always there's always room for improvement. So um, what that allows for naturally is that I'm not reading word for word, but I have I have it in front of me, and I am looking to I'm looking to those notes, and sometimes I'll use them more, sometimes I'll use them less. It really depends on the situation. Then after Shabbos, I'll rewrite it. Uh, some of it's rewritten in a way that a reader could appreciate. And sometimes just because of all the edits that I've made in my head over Shabbos need to be need to be reframed. And what I found is that we've kind of created like, uh, I know there's not so much part of your question, but I've been posting them over the past couple of years. We kind of created a little bit of a Facebook community for our show as well, uh, between Facebook posts and Facebook videos and, uh, and drushes. And that's you know, almost been its own community. It's not the same. It's totally not the same as being there in person and growing together, but it's, it's really created like a second community for our show, which has been very, very nice as well. Mm -hmm. Do you find it difficult to concentrate during tefillah before you speak? Not really. I like davening. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, your mind is not working trying to figure out exactly how to. Not at that point. No, I feel confident enough by that point that uh, it's not going to get in the way of things. Yeah. And what about afterwards? Afterwards, do you find it a little bit hard to come down? Um, if I feel like I did a terrible job, it's a little hard to come down. If I feel like a good job, I'll just usually usually try to channel that into a good shmona essay, like good modem, like thank you, God, that was good. <laughs> uh, oh, good, 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 good. Uh, okay, so so you mentioned that you start on Friday. Now that, that's probably just the writing part. I would imagine that you know the wheels are turning even at the beginning of the week, knowing that you have this this slot coming up, you know, X amount of days, T minus, you know, three days, right. two days, one day. So right. so uh so talk to me about about your process. Um, it really depends on the week. It depends on the week. Some weeks I, I finish my drush and I'm like, okay. And like, literally the second I finish, like I just cleared room out of my brain. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I'm talking about next week. Done. Um, it happens sometimes. And then sometimes, uh, so it's, it's kind of in the back, back, back of my mind, uh, throughout the week. 
some weeks more so unfortunately you know with not not unfortunately fortunately part of the job is 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 not writing brushes it's not really the the what i'm occupying my day with so um you know sometimes there's more space in the back of my mind for the drusha to to develop uh very often there isn't and so it's like bits and pieces and sometimes something will just like trigger something and like ah now i have it uh whether it's through learning whether it's through uh something i saw a conversation i had whatever it might be i'm always i'm always there, there's it's on the back burner. It's always like collecting to some extent. Some weeks it's not. You know, this past week, that, that Lush and Hara one, I had a rough week. It was a rough week. And I wrote that drasha Friday afternoon. It was uh, whatever. I had a funeral in the morning, whatever it was. And it was just, I, I kind of scrambled. I actually did not like that drasha so much, but it's okay. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> but uh, it, it was, um, you know, but usually I try to have something. And usually, look, there's enough going on in the world that I feel is important. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll address the question more succinctly. You know, the Parsha, and I think you mentioned this when we spoke a moment before, you know the the Magid method, what you what you're talking about about you know creating the the circles around it. I, I don't even believe you even have to font, connect the parsha to what you're talking about. The parsha of the week is what you believe is on people's minds at that moment. Sometimes I don't quote the parsha. I don't think uh, you know I don't think I'm a bad person or a bad rabbi because of that. The parsha of the week is the parsha like what's on people's mind. That's the parsha of the week. That's the parsha of the week. If there's a connection to the the weekly parsha, fantastic. But it's really not necessary. And if I'm just gonna again, if I have to justify what I'm saying and it doesn't connect perfectly, I'm not talking about it. I'm just not. It's just not appropriate. So um, because of that, because I'm I'm thinking, trying to think about what's on people's minds, almost naturally, it's 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 on my mind as well. So almost naturally, it's 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 developing throughout the week as well. Yeah, I, I love that. I was going to bring that up. That I, it seems to me that you don't feel a need to link it back to the parsha. If it, if if there's a link, great. If not, then then you know. If they want to read Torah, that that's not what a dry, I don't believe that's what a sermon is. Yeah, and and in addition, it also seems like you don't even need to get to the Devar Torah till maybe three quarters of the way through, which which was amazing. I mean, you you have a, a strong message, and and you get the audience in the congregation engaged and invested, and then and then when it's appropriate, you introduce the Devar Torah part as a support. Yeah, I mean, look, the goal is to ultimately connect it to the Torah itself, but I don't mean yeah. a particular parsha. And I, I, one of the the you know one of the um, perks of not learning in yeshiva or being trained in yeshiva where they train rabbis is that I don't have a template, which is the biggest gift in the world. I don't have like here's my joke and then here's my study, my psychological study, and my Dvar Torah. What Statistic and yeah. yeah, like every wait, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean this in, in a derogatory fashion, but some people have like a template. I, I I don't have a template. I was never trained, and which is which allows for an incredible amount of flexibility. It doesn't have sometimes I will start the Devartora, sometimes I won't. It doesn't there is it doesn't have to and it's it's a benefit because to your point earlier, it keeps it keeps it keeps the crowd excited, but it keeps me excited. If I'm excited, chances are I'll be able to convey that to the Kihila, to the crowd. Yeah. So, okay. So how did, if you didn't take classes or you didn't take homiletics or you know, how did you learn? Did, did you learn on the job? You just. Um, so I had some good uh, models of people. I spent some time as an intern at uh, B'nai Jacob Sharzain with Rabbi Moshe Hauer, who's currently the head of the Orthodox Union. So watching him uh, was a masterclass in giving good sermons. Um, I had great advice from a high school principal to never turn down a speaking opportunity. And so I would speak all that whenever I was given an opportunity, I would speak and I would work hard, you know, like whatever it was. And then I'd immerse myself into, you know, when I first started, I spent a lot of time just reading through the sermons of Rabbi Norman Lamb or by Dr. Norman Lamb and the drashos of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, people who were able to reach people. Um, and also probably the most important was paying attention to the crowd. You know, if I'm putting like seeing how people are responding, that that is the the best 
The best education was keeping my eyes open while I'm speaking, seeing how people are reacting, seeing if, if people are falling asleep, like I am totally like off base. No one, you cannot, if you're falling asleep, my dress, like I am completely messed, like something's wrong. Um, I remember when I first started, Someone didn't like me so much. He literally used to pull out like a newspaper when I started speaking. It was great. It was the most humbling thing in the world. All rabbis need some humility at times. Um, so it was so humbling. Um, but you know what? He doesn't pull out a newspaper anymore. He listens and he gives me feedback. So uh, the goal is it, it's on me. Yeah, it was completely rude and completely inappropriate. Don't get me wrong. But but it also gave me a goal. Like, how am I engaging this person? How am I doing so? So just seeing the crowd. Most people are not going to do something so overt. But the learning from the crowd it gave, over time taught me. That was the best education. Yeah. Who else did you look up to besides uh, Reverend Moshe Hauer and, and uh, Rabbi Sachs? You mentioned earlier the quote by the uh, Christian preacher. Did, did you go outside uh, Judaism to look for speeches, famous speeches? Um, or, or Yeah, so I, not, not for speeches per se. Um, I'm constantly looking, look, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, like, you know, I'm constantly looking for anyone who is engaging people, trying to see if there are things which uh, I could learn from. You know, with time, I, I developed a little more confidence in my own voice. You know, uh, you said that that dresser that you you saw pinned on my Twitter account. I I have a poem in there. That took me. That took a lot of guts. <laughs> you know, like to write a poem. It's not a great poem. Um, you know, and put it out there was 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 a frightening frightening uh, moment. You know, to to feel comfortable enough doing that. But um, so again, initially a lot of immersion into those people and anything, anyone who could teach me. And I still do, of course, there's so much to learn from, from other people, but also, you know, growing more confidence in, in sharing my own personal voice, whatever that might mean, um, as, as something which I, I probably do much more of now. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Um, so, so as a springboard, I, I saw a letter that you wrote, uh, it was, it was to strengthen the rabbi congregation relationship, uh, a little while ago. And you wrote, Perhaps if us rabbis could be a little bit more open and vulnerable about ourselves and our faith, we'd be inviting our congregants to do the same. The openness will help create authentic and long-lasting relationships. Um, so tell me about your journey about, about because not everybody is open and vulnerable like that. Uh, a lot of, there's a school of thought that, uh, you know, the, 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 I think I heard the phrase, uh, sage on a stage, you know, that there, there's the, you know, right. removed uh, from, from the Kila. Rabbi Simons was telling me that there, there's a, a shul I think it maybe young Israel Fifth Avenue or something that the 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 pulpit was you had to ascend a staircase <laughs> and you address you, you talk down to the people yeah, that's my pulpit I hate it I mean <laughs> I'm up there I'm up there it's weird uh -huh. for me. I don't like it every once in a while I'm like I just want to speak on the floor but yeah it's a big room so it works but uh it, it's it's a good question and I'll be honest I don't know I I've not I don't claim to have mastered the calibration you know the people who over there there's there's certainly a, a a significant amount of oversharing going on in public speaking or the world and i find it nauseating <laughs> that's not too strong a word it, it just it's very distasteful i i don't like it and at the same time i'm sure some of the sharing that i do makes people feel uncomfortable it makes certain people have more sensitivity towards us uncomfortable so i'm just constantly trying to calibrate um i i check in with probably most often my wife who is a good help on like what's too much what's too little uh she'll give me that good feedback honest feedback you need to have someone in your life who could give you the most honest feedback in the world or else you're lost certainly as a rabbi um but uh, so that's always helpful and and trying to find the balance trying to find the balance between oversharing and and allowing for some vulnerability so um you know and it can't be constant you know it, it's look any any i statement gets more clicks whether it's online or you know on the pulpit anytime I could show you there, there's, a, there's an episode of The Simpsons. Am I allowed to quote The Simpsons in this? Is that okay? Um, so the episode of The Simpsons where uh, Homer is was started teaching in some college or something and no one was paying attention. And then he decided to mention something about his personal life. 
And all of a sudden his class started picking up and all basically his class was, was just him sharing about his personal life, about him and his wife or whatever it was. And his class was highly popular. That is, you know, that, that is a hazard of doing so. You know that it's going to get clicks. So how do you check yourself? You need some, some, you know, some aware, self-awareness, some outside checks and balances, but trying to straddle that line, I'll try, I'll try to make myself vulnerable, try to acknowledge some of the, the, the emotions that I have. And again, without going too far, again, I, I really have no idea what the right calibration, I don't have a science. Uh, some of it's the, just the, the smell test, like this feels like it's too much, it's too, too, and it's just not, it doesn't feel right. Um, and sometimes there's a need to go more. I'll, I'll share with you because why not? Because uh, I've shared this publicly, but I about two years ago, I had I, like I, I fainted at the pulpit while I was giving a drasha. Pretty like dramatic thing to do, right? Um, so uh, it, it triggered like some serious panic attacks, like serious panic. I've been speaking, speaking for like eight years, nine years on the same pulpit, same shul, uh, feeling rather comfortable up there, and it triggered panic attacks. And I didn't know what it was initially. I went through like every health check in the world, whatever it was. Finally, I realized it was just like, it was. I was just having panic attacks getting up there at my shul at like, this is like, again, we just spoke about how important this part is. And I, I was struggling to get up there. It was it was the wildest experience, which was in and of itself very humbling and and gave me uh, so much more empathy. I'd like to believe I'm a pretty em em empathic individual, but it gave me so much more empathy to people struggling with different things. Um, so that was something where if it would have happened in any other context, it's not, it's like, I feel like that's too personal. I don't like, I'm not like, I'm not like walking around the t-shirt, like my, whatever, you know, what your mental illness is like, I, or I don't, I don't believe in that. But over here, this was happening publicly. People knew something was going on. So I dedicated a Rosh Hashanah Drusha to the topic. Um, and was pretty vulnerable about the fact that like the, the fear, like flashing through my eyes of like, am I done? Am I no longer, I, it was, it was the hardest thing in the world to work back up to a place where I felt comfortable and confident getting up there and speaking um and and you know using that once they're already somewhat in on that experience and you know they felt okay this is something now i i could and should talk about but there's you know and, and again with a significant amount of editing and and oversight with my wife just to make sure like is this too much is it not too much um but so again clearly i don't have a perfect calibration but it's this constant push and pull of trying to allow for that vulnerability invites people into my experience we could grow together uh, I always think of the story of Rav Nachman, which I'm for sure misunderstanding. There's a story of Rav Nachman of Breslov about this prince who thinks he's a turkey, and the and the wise sage comes and you know joins the turkey under the table by taking off his clothes and like being under the table with the turkey. And eventually, they you know the 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 wise sage says you know oh turkeys eat with a fork and knife really yeah and they start eating the fork and knife and then turkeys actually wear clothing really yeah turkeys stop saying bak bak they 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 speak and basically gets the prince up, up from under the table but only by joining him under the table. So I think you know we grow together as a kahila and so. I need to, we need to connect under the table, so to speak. I have no idea what the real meaning of that story is, but that's what it means to me. And mm -hmm. uh, we need to get under the table together. And, and through that, we kind of, we kind of grow together. Yeah. It's amazing. How does your family feel about uh, when you, when you share stuff? How do they, I mean, you, you said your wife is, uh, she's I'm very, your yeah, I'm very, I, I try very hard not to, I, I don't mention anything like real about my family. Like I'll say something which is clearly just like, you know, maybe about a three-year-old saying like a funny word, but uh, very respectful to my family's privacy. They, it's hard enough being a rabbi's son or daughter and uh, they don't need people to know about their intimate life. It's not, not appropriate. They, there's like almost no pictures of them online. Like I, 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 you know, gotta give them some space. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um okay, so um now you have the you have you have the opening and uh and does that come at the end? Does that come at the beginning? Where where does where does the what what's the structure? How how do you put together a drusha? 
Um, I usually just start writing. I don't outline. It just kind of comes and you quiet. I just like sit down again, like Friday morning. I usually try to wake up early in the morning. My phone's not buzzing. Uh, it's quiet. Nothing is going on. And I just let it flow out. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I have to constantly come back and fix things. I don't have uh, a great system. I mean, it's working, so I guess it's a good system, but it's it's not a system that I feel is able to be replicated in the sense that sometimes it's just that flow and sometimes uh, not as often, but sometimes I just are kind of restructure, recognizing it's not going to land the right way. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you ever collaborate with anybody? Uh, yeah, you're uh, the rabbi in, in Columbus, Ohio, a good friend of mine, Rabbi Goldstein. Uh, we're very different. We're good, very good friends. We're very different. Um, we less and less, we actually started as rabbis at the same time. And so we would spend a lot of time initially on the phone uh, before Shabbos. Sometimes we would actually work on it, uh, address it together. Sometimes it was just the sharing of ideas. As time went on, and I think we each developed more of our own, it was almost like we were the best standing board because we're really different people I and mean, we're very good friends, but we see things very differently. And so sharpening each other, you know, our dresses are not the same at all, but, um, you know, having someone to bounce things off of who especially is different is not, who's going to see things differently allows us each to sharpen our ideas. So as time goes on less and less, I wish it was as often as, as, as it used to be, but that was very helpful to have a fellow rabbi to work with together initially. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you rehearse it? He, Rabbi Goldstein told me he he rehearses. He speaks out the the drushes. Yeah, yeah. Shabbos morning, uh, I spend. So I wake up a little bit earlier, and I usually go over the drasha at least once on Rosh Hashanah. I'll go over a few more times, um, but yeah, I'll try to read it over at least once before I get up there. Mm -hmm. Anything that you still struggle with? Things that you still struggle with when you uh, in in, the, in this area? Um, I constantly have a fear, but it's like it's just a completely irrational fear of running out of things to say. I'm like, oh, I'm going to run on things and say, I'm like, oh gosh, there's like this Torah, which is like endless and this world, which is constantly wild. And there's so much to talk about. So I have to constantly remind myself, but, uh, you know, some people save, like people have files and are very organized. They want to talk about like uh, dogs going to heaven. Like I got like 400 files on that and whatever it might be. And I don't, I feel like if I have something good to say, I kind of believe, you know, there's a principle when it comes to tzedakah, you give and God will give you. I'm never going to be a big giver. <laughs> I'm a rabbi. I'm never going to, but I, if I have a nice idea, like I want to share it right away. Uh, but sometimes that that scares me, especially because it gets closer to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur or a time I need to give a bigger speech. I'm like, oh, wait, did I just waste a speech, so to speak, by giving it in middle of the summer when there's like a third of our soul here because everyone's out of town? Um, so that's just a fear. It's an irrational fear, but it's 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 consistently been proven to be irrational because, again, the Torah is so vast um, that nothing, uh, you know, there's no worry. But yeah, if a fear of, you know, again, I, I my, my fear also is getting stale. You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm not... Um, not you know getting too used to you know it's very easy at some point to just you know run on on accolades and run on on the people that that you are speaking to uh but there needs to be growth if there isn't growth in any area um then then you know then 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 it doesn't it doesn't work as well so um you know there's that fear of of just uh of, of stagnating and so that 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 need to constantly like refine it get better and whatever that might look like. I don't have like a particular goal, but the goal is it has to get better. There has to be some something more. There has to be something that's able to continue to 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 grow and and to to cause people to grow together with you. How do you measure success? It is a profession which I don't believe allows for the measurement of success. I don't think. I mean, I can tell you the measurement of success of a drusha, but I don't believe this. This is okay. Everything I've said, I just want to now uh, qualify by saying at the end of the day, all the work that goes into drusha. At the end of the day, I don't believe the real work is taking place when someone's listening to your drasha, right? Yes. I may have had the funniest, most inspiring, most out there drasha, and people love it. 
um, that is not a real success. So success for Drusha, I'll get feedback. You know, I'll post on Facebook. I'll see, you know, enough likes or whatever it is, or I'll get enough feedback after I can look at the crowd. That's that's success for Drusha. But if that's my only marker for success, then I'm failing as a spiritual leader. So the real success, uh, you know, it's bits and pieces you see here and there. Someone comes back to you a year later. By the way, I've incorporated this practice into my life, uh, you know, because of something that I once heard you say two years ago. That's that's success. You know, it's 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 that type of feedback where where someone you say something um, and someone says, you know, that I've been really struggling with whatever it is, and 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 now you know it's it's kind of shifted my perspective a little bit. Um, that's the type of success again, which is different, very different metric than successful drasha. The successful drasha is superficial. Yeah. What are some of your go-to resources uh, to look for, for Torah, for stories? Do you have anything in particular that you, uh, that you'll start with? I don't, I don't, I don't like having go-to resources. Um, it's anything and everything. I'll try to pull You're out moving target. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try to pull out something new. Cause again, if it's, if it's something which spoke to me last time, then it's not going to speak to me this time. I, 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 I get bored of myself. I get bored of things very quickly. So. What what advice would you have for let's say younger uh, rabbis and going out into the field? You know, what approaching this slot? What what kind of you know if you had a, let's say two nuggets of wisdom that you would give them? What what would you say? I would tell them to a immerse themselves in and surround themselves and constantly you know look at who the people are that are really really resonating with people, and that could be in their own style. You know, for me, Rabbi Lamb spoke to me as well, so I, I followed that route for some people that's not at all a style that they're in, looking to emulate in any way um, but to really uh, to find those people to find role models alive or or no longer alive that that really speaks to them and to also have someone or some mechanism that could allow them to have real feedback it's it's that it's that dynamic it's it's going back to the well but also ensuring that there's some strong dynamic you know having yes people around you is is a curse and and making sure that you have some way of checking yourself to make sure that that what you're doing and saying is is resonating. And again, your job is not to be, you know, the, the Gemara talks about Yudan Nasi and then Exuvis, like your job is not to make everyone happy. Again, you want to make people uncomfortable, but uh, the question is, is it resonating? Is it is it making a difference? And, and having some some mechanism to, to measure that. Okay. Um, last question I want to ask you is, what? how do you decide what to talk about? I mean, this is, you know, you have X amount of time and it's once a week. How do you decide what what gets priority? What What... What floats to the top? Yeah, I I, I wish I could tell you I have like a, a science for that. I should, I should. Um, and it's embarrassing that I don't, frankly. Um, there occasionally there are things which I think need to, well, a couple of things. Let's just say right now, after October 7th, I have to talk, you know, the, the job is to respond to what's going, what's on people's minds, you know? So that is, that's simple to me. That's simple. Like, obviously it's my job to, to give people some, some direction, some comfort, some, you know, et cetera, around what is clearly on everyone's mind. Uh, similarly, if there were significant things going on in politics, it's not, you know, it's not the rabbi's job necessarily to tell people who to vote for necessarily, but if there's something which is significantly on people's mind, clearly on people's mind, I, I believe, you know, Judaism has something to say about it. It's not it's not appropriate to shy away from it. It's important to give some perspective. Okay. Uh, thank God it's not always chaotic. You know, it's not, there isn't always break, legitimate breaking news. There are things, times when things are quieter. Um, so occasionally there are, there are projects. So for, for example, if there are things which I feel like right now, this is something that as a show we should be working on, then I will find the way to slow drip that. I can't speak about it one week, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but I could do one, three, seven, nine, et cetera, and, and have those those things. So for example, uh, this year in Rosh Hashanah, I, I, I thought the shul is in a place where we could talk about like daily Torah learning. 
Um, so we pitched, I pitched a program I, I do at 12 o'clock. I do like a little, uh, daily Dvar Torah on Facebook. And, um, and then we, we grew that. So now we have people doing Daf Yomi, whatever it is, but so that's, we're constantly coming back to that, constantly making sure that that's, that that's there. Um, so again, those are the bigger projects. And then, and then sometimes there are fillers, you know, going back to my lab, he has this beautiful piece that he wrote, um, I'm blanking on the title, but basically reflecting on his years as a darshan. As this, oh, a, uh, confessions of an unrepentant darshan. I think we're good. Yes, yeah. that's it. That's it. And he speaks about the fact, and this goes back to something I mentioned earlier, that it's not a fair or normal expectation to give like a weekly drasha. Like he spoke about the fact that other people, and so I do give a weekly drasha, and that's fine. But recognizing that some weeks are going to be more quote unquote filler than other. Again, not heaven forbid wasting someone's time filler. It's not like just a musical interlude, but there is filler in the sense it might be interesting. We're going to learn an interesting shot again, using the art or whatever it is, but, but it's going to be a filler in the sense that, that people are not in a place that we're able to constantly be moving forward. And at least I don't feel like they are. Um, one thing I learned from Ray Howard, which was very, very wise was to recognize like what's on the calendar. It's like July 4th weekend. It's not the time to like, go for fire and brimstone like people are not in that headspace you know so so being true to where people are at um is is also a critical piece of that so all those factors go into what gets priority that, that's not a very you know all those all those different pieces are moving together amazing okay that's that's a wrap great yeah, okay we uh, re really appreciated it really i know you're so super busy and it was tough to pin you down there's a secret the great public speakers know did you know there's a method for cutting straight through to an audience's heart, grabbing their attention and holding it, and making a memorable impact with your presentation? The best speakers in the world utilize it, and now you can too, every time you get up to speak. Download your free Magid Method of Public Speaking template at magidmethod.com, M-A-G-G-I-D-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. The Magid Method will teach you how to find your authentic voice, craft meaningful presentations, manage people's attention, and build unbreakable bonds with your audience. Go to MagidMethod.com and download your free copy now. You've been listening to The Magid Method, and I'm Daniel Steinberg. Learn more about The Magid Method at M-A-G-G-I-D-M-E-T-H-O-D.com, MagidMethod.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.